Turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, please. Let's let the children slip on out then. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. The subject that I'm about to tackle tonight might not be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It might not be too hard on on some subjects, but in some matters of faith. But following, we'll probably do into next week also because it's a big subject. And we're going to show you the imperialism of Christianity and the cult of Caesar. And when we look at the cult of Caesar, some people might be surprised that continues right to this very hour and right to this very day. But we're going to show you it in our Lord's Day tonight and then we'll follow through, uh, God willing, next week. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, the Lord Jesus, in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God and truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose image and super, whose image is, whose is this image rather and superscription? Excuse me. And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled, and left him, and went their way. We know the Lord will add the blessing to the reading of his own word in public, but let's just bow again in a word of prayer. Eternal Father, worship you. We thank you. We praise you. And we love you. We ask you, Lord, now to help us, every one of us, to render unto you that which is rightly yours, all of ourselves. And we ask you, Lord, that you would settle us in your presence and help us, Lord. Help us to understand and help us to Lord, hear your word with the inner ear and teach us of thy ways and of thy truths, we pray. Glorify your own self this evening in the preaching of your word and the expounding thereof. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. When we generally read a portion of scripture such as Matthew chapter 22 from verses 15 until verse 22, we look at the surface teaching. Usually you hear stories of and questions being asked of, did Jesus obey the law of the land? Or things like, did Jesus pay his taxes? In other words, was our Lord a tax dodger? Many things are 
brought out of this, and, and rightly so, and that's okay, where people would ask then, in other words, when we render on the Caesar the things that are Caesar's and on the God the things that are God's, I heard Reinhard Bunke in a meeting I went to one time preach a wonderful sermon of that, and that's fine. And souls were one for the Lord Jesus Christ. But whenever we really get into the true meaning, in other words, when we get to the background of why our Lord was asked this, what was the motive of the heart of the Pharisees and the Herodians that they would come to our Savior and ask such questions simply about taxes and about the law of the land and showing a coin and what is it all about? Is it, is it about salvation? Well, it can be. In the end of it all, it is. It's about truth according to God's word. It's about prophecy. There's so much more whenever we do look and no longer are we paddling around the shallows, but digging deeper. We'll not skim the surface tonight. We want to show you so much more. Let's look at our reading in verse 15. It says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, the Lord Jesus, in their talk. You notice that they come with a motive of heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. They come with a wrong motive of heart to the Lord Jesus because we are told that the Lord Jesus, he perceived, verse 18, perceived their wickedness when they came to him. In other words, Jesus knew the background of the reason why they came to ask him such a question. And it goes way beyond what most people think of when they read this portion of Scripture. So what is the background? Why did they ask such a question like that? Of course, it is wickedness of the heart, as the Scriptures have already said to us. So we're told the Pharisees come that they might entangle him. They might want to try and twist his words, and they want to show him up for something that he didn't say. Let's read verse 16. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the persons of men. Now here is the lie of their heart being manifest. Here is the lie before Almighty God in flesh, as if they could fool the Son of God, as if they could, as it were, stand before him barefaced and tell a lie. But Jesus perceived their wickedness, we're told. Friend, do you think that you'll be able to stand before Almighty God and, and fool him? Do you think that you'll be able to stand before Almighty God and tell him how good a person you are? And why you should be saved and enter his kingdom? Do you think that you'll be able to fool our Lord? For be not to see, for God is not mocked, the scripture says. And our Lord knows the thoughts and the intents of every heart. And he read the heart of the Pharisees. Master, we know, they say, that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Now here's the thing, they didn't know that. And they didn't believe that. Because they came to entangle him in his speech. They came to trap him. They were trying to do the job of Judas Iscariot. 
We're told that they come and they start to flatter him. As we would say, they try to butter him up. God sees right through flattery, friend. God sees right through and he knows the truth. Every one of us are transparent like a clear pane of glass before our Savior. And these men were no different. Master, we know that thou art true and teach us the way of God and truth, they say. Then they say they regard us not the person of man. Notice that. In other words, without fear or favor, we know you're true. Reminds us of Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he comes at night to see Jesus. Secret discipleship came, but he, at this point he didn't understand the way of salvation and being born of the Spirit of God. There's many people, they, 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 they go to church and they, they become churchy or religious, but they know not the way of being born again. They must hear the voice of God. They must receive the word in the Son of God. And they must be born again of the Spirit of God. Every man and every woman that ever walked on planet earth. You see, when Nicodemus came, he says, Master, we know that, 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 that what thou doest, no man can do it except God be with thee. In other words, there's something special about you. You must be God. And Jesus turns to him and he says in John chapter 3 and in verse 3, He tells him that he must be born again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see nor perceive the kingdom of God. In verse 5, when Nicodemus comes up with a carnal answer, well, how can I be born again when I'm already born? I'm an old man now. And he says, and the Lord Jesus replies to him, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, or in other words, born from above. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then in verse 7 of John chapter 3, he says to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Here he comes, but Nicodemus comes with a heart that's open, a heart that's curious. He knows there's something about this man, and he must find out more. These Pharisees were completely different. They came with a heart to try and catch him. And they came with wickedness. Flattery was on their lips. Reminds us of Matthew 15 and verse 8 where our Lord is speaking as Yahweh, Jehovah God in flesh. Thinking of Israel in the, New, in the Old Testament. Now he looks at these Pharisees. They weren't even Israelites. We'll look at it in a minute. Not true. Born of Judah. They were born of Edom. But notice what he says. He says in Matthew 15 verse 7. He calls them hypocrites. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah or Isaiah prophesy of you, saying. And then he says in verse 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Can I ask you something, friend? Did you sing a hymn tonight? Did you sing a few courses when the Gary and the team were leading us in song? Was it from your lips and your mouth or did it go deeper into the heart and come out and worship? When Billy sang, did you feel the the Spirit of God moving and, and exciting you in Christ? Or do we give him lip service and our heart is far from him? These men 
their heart was far from the Lord Jesus Christ and from anything to do with him. We're told with them come the Herodians. Now this is what I wanted to say with these Pharisees and these Herodians. The Herodians, some people tried to work out who they were. Basically, most think that they came from a background where Herod, Herod was the, the, the tetrarch of Galilee. And Herod was, he was a puppet king of the Roman Caesars. In other words, he looked after an area. He looked after a certain uh, part of Galilee, a quarter of it. And when he looked after it, he was wicked and he was cruel. And listen, he called himself a Jew, but he wasn't a Judaite. He wasn't a real Israelite or a Judahite. Herod was an Edomite from Esau. Remember Esau sold his birthright onto Jacob for a mess of pottage, thought nothing of the promises and the claims and covenants of Almighty God. That was the lineage where Herod came from and he changed his religion to be a Jew because he, he th- thought he would be better off and that God would bless him. He was put in as a puppet king so all of his men get together. And as they gather together, they're sent down with legalistic minds. And here we have ecclesiastical minds. In fact, standing before our God, we have legalism. We have occultism. They say, well, how could it be occultism? Because the mystery of Babylon the Great, the mystery of their religions was running right through from the cult of Caesar. We'll show you that in a minute. And this cult carries right down, right to this very evening. Right into tonight, the cult of Caesar is still in operation. Here we have them coming. There was occultism, there was paganism, ritualism and ceremonialism. And all the ceremonies in the world, whether that be a Protestant church or a Catholic church or whatever church, all the ceremonies in the world will not save a soul. Only accepting Christ as Lord, only being quickened, made alive by the Holy Spirit, and only being washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith will save your soul tonight. None of the ritualism. Here is a wonderful answer of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. He say, Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me? Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. So they show him it. And they brought him unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose image and superscription is this? The Lord answers their question with a question. They ask the Lord, what thinkest thou? And then he says, whose image is this? In other words, who do you recognize? Who is in control? Who is in charge? He says, look at the coin and tell me. Where does your heart's desire lie? It is. But you're Pharisees. You're the man who say you keep 613 commandments in the Torah. You're the man who say you stand and you teach in the synagogues and the tabernacles and the temples. You're the man who says, so who is this? And they say it is Caesar. 
So now we move in to more teaching of the cult of Caesar. Jesus was showing them that they must choose this day whom they should serve. Jesus was saying, if you know who this man is, this image and superscription, if you recognize who he is, he is Caesar and he has a cult and he has a kingdom or an empire. He says, then you must decide, is it Jehovah's empire, Yahweh's empire, or is it Caesar's empire? So the Lord says to them, show me the money. They sell to him at Caesar's. And then he says, let's look at our reading in verse 21. They say unto him, Caesar's then saith he unto them, render or pay therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things which are God's. In other words, Caesar was to get back what he owed, owned and God was to get what he owned. So we have the Caesar's imperial empire of Rome. Now remember, it's the Roman empire at this point in time who are taking control of, well, the all-in-one earth. In fact, they go right far as Hadrian's Wall at one time, over there where Scotland meets England, goes right over to parts of India, right over North Africa and all of Europe. Here is a great one-world empire, the devil trying to gather up the nations together under a one-world leader. So we have the great Roman Empire and the Lord says, well, we are in this empire, but we are not of this empire. These are important things for uh, as we go a little later on in our study. So let's look for a moment at imperialism. The imperial Roman Empire. What is it to be imperial? Imperial means something pertaining to the nature of an empire. Now let me say it again. I need you to try and grasp it. It's hard when you're listening to it and not reading it. And imperial means something pertaining to the nature of an empire or to the nature of the emperor of that empire. It gives the idea an imperial is also the name for the sovereign or the supreme one in the empire. It is an august title for Caesar. He is the imperial. He is the Caesar. He is the one who is in control. Imperialism. Imperialism is the power or the authority of the emperor. The power or the authority of the empire. It also is the spirit of the empire as it drives forward through the nations. So it is the power and the authority and the spirit of the empire and it is also belief in the policy of extending that empire. That is imperialism. So Caesar can have what is his. He could have his forced labor and take taxes. He could rule as an emperor, a sovereign and even claim an august title. He can rule with power and authority and his people may have belief in Roman policy and conquer many peoples and lands to have their policy and their beliefs extended further. It's called hegemony of the whole earth. To be control of the whole known earth and that's what the Caesars wanted in their empire. So Jesus says, since then you recognize him, then render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. 
Great scholar, Kenneth Woost, he calls this, and this is where I got the title for it, the imperialism of Christianity. The nature of a kingdom, the nature of a kingdom people, and the nature of the king of the kingdom. And the imperialism of Christianity is the spreading of the gospel. The spreading of the gospel, first of all, to the West, then the West to the rest of the world. And Christ was preached and people were saved and born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. They were translated from darkness unto light and the kingdom of God was upon the earth. And it rules and reigns in the hearts of every believer. The king of our kingdom is the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit of the kingdom of Christ is the Holy Spirit of God. And we also have a kingdom people. Jesus says, except the man be born again, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't matter how bad you've been or how good you've been, how rich you are or how poor you are, male or female, bond or free, it matters not. But what matters is, is that you personally know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Lord and personal Savior. Here we have the kingdom on which the Lord Jesus came into. That is the empire of the Caesars. He will rule and reign. We want to go now to show you Daniel chapter 2. Now we go into history. Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, I can't read it all for time's sake, it would take too long. But in Daniel chapter 2, tells us of Nebuchadnezzar, who carried away Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And they carried him away into Babylon. And Daniel is, Daniel is there and He's a young man when he's carried away, then he's an older man by the time we're reading a lot of this. But nevertheless, the king sees an image in a dream. And he calls for his soothsayers and tells him, look, I want you to tell me what my dream was, not what the interpretation of the dream is. Tell me what my dream was and the interpretation. And they can't tell him, so... He, he slays his soothsayers and calls for Daniel. And Daniel takes uh, his, his dream on board and he says, I'll go and I'll pray about this. And the Lord gives him the revelation of his dream. Let's look at Daniel chapter 2, please. And for time's sake, this is Daniel talking to the king, explaining the dream. Verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. And the great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee. And the form thereof was terrible or magnificent. Notice this now. The image's head was of gold. His breast and his arms of silver. His belly and his thighs of brass. His legs of iron. His feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was caught out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them into pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, 
and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream and we will tell the interpretation of it thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. Notice the titles, a king of kings. For of the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell in the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, he hath given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. Note that. Daniel says, God has allowed you to accumulate an empire. There is a reason behind it. There's a reason for your empire. There's a reason why God has allowed it. He says, you're claiming king of kings. But you're not the king of kings, almighty God has given to you. And he has allowed you. Brothers and sisters, as we said this morning in our meeting, the moment you and I get puffed up with pride and think we can do anything for Christ of ourselves, then we've just stepped off the narrow way and onto a broad road. Here he says, Nebuchadnezzar, look what he says at the end of our last verse, in verse 38. Thou art the head, or this head, of gold. He says, do you see that great image you saw? Do you see the great image where you dreamed it and it really troubled you and you had to call your soothsayers? He says, I have the interpretation and you're the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. So here is the interpretation, friends. We'll maybe look at it next week if we need to. The head of gold was the Babylonian empire under Nebuchadnezzar's reign. After Nebuchadnezzar, we had uh, right up to Daniel chapter 5, we have uh, Belshazzar's feast. Belshazzar takes all of the, the vessels that were in the temple of Jehovah and he brings them into his feast with all of his lords and he gets all his kings together and his princes and they have a great big party, a festival and they're drinking, they're getting drunk, they're eating and they're, they're reveling and yet all the armies are outside ready to attack. They don't hear the warning for judgment. They don't hear that God has said that there's going to be judgment upon you. And at that moment, there's a finger or a hand like a man's hand takes his finger and he writes upon the plaster of the wall. Meaning, meaning, he can you far sin. There's another Bible prophecy and I'll take you through that sometime. And as it writes upon the wall, no one can interpret. And again, they send for Daniel. And Daniel comes and interprets the, the handwriting that's upon the wall. And the handwriting was against Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the grandson, of my memory serves me right, of Nebuchadnezzar. And that night, his kingdom was taken from him. He says, Oh, art found, thy hast been wed and art found wanting in the balances. Thy kingdom has been divided between the Medes and the Persians. And that night, that night, the impregnable walls of Babylon were broken through as they came up a dried Euphrates riverbed and into the city. And Belshazzar lost his king, he lost his head. He lost his life. Friend, if God gives you a warning, a warning to get right with God, a warning to accept his son as saviour, for there is an impending judgment upon the head of every man and woman, the wrath of God. 
that if you'll hear his voice, then harden not your heart. And Belshazzar was the last Babylonian head of gold. The Babylonian empire fell, and next came the Medes and the Persians, where we read of Darius or Darius. And he is one of the heads of the Medes and the Persians. And then he is depicted as the belly or the, the chest and arms of silver. Verse 32 says, The image his head was of gold, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and his breast and arms of silver. Notice that. That is the Medes and the Persian Empire. Then after that, for time's sake, we can't go through all of these. His belly and his thighs were of brass. That was Alexander the Great, conquered the Medes and the Persians. And then after that, his legs were of iron. After Alexander the Great was the great Roman Empire. And the cult of Caesar carried right from Babylon to the Medo-Persia to the Roman Empire. That's where we are in our story tonight, the legs of iron. And if you come back next week, and God's willing and God willing and with God's help, we're going to talk about the feet, part of iron and part of clay. So here we have the legs of iron. It is the Roman Caesars and the Roman Empire. The part, feet of part of iron and part of clay, we'll see next week. It brings us right to the European Union. And of course, the Holy Roman Empire, as it's known, from 800 AD, when there was set up on Christmas Day a military wing of the Church of Rome. Here we have, we are at the legs of iron tonight, the Caesar's Empire. The time of our reading in Daniel 2, we're also told that there's a stone cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them in pieces. Verse 35 says, the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. My friend, you might wonder, what is this stone? Notice it's a stone that's cut out and was without hands. In other words, it's not man-made. It's a, a creation. It's a natural thing. It's something that has formed or been formed by a creator. A brick is made. It's fashioned. It's formed. It's shaped. It's hardened. It's baked. It wasn't a brick. It is a stone cut out without hands. This was God starting at the kingdom of Israel right down from the gospel coming to the spreading of the gospel throughout the whole world. And when Christ comes, his kingdom is a great mountain that will sit and he'll rule and reign on planet earth for a thousand years. And Babylon the great will be fallen, fallen. You'll read that, God willing, next week in Revelation chapter 18. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Let's look at this briefly then. That was my introduction, by the way, but sure have another week to do, okay? <laughs> Let's look at some points. We'll get some of them done maybe tonight, and then we'll come back to more next week. Here's some interesting points. He says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And let's look at these the, the, the differences here in Scripture. Think about our Lord speaking this. Those Pharisees and Herodians coming and saying, should we pay taxes? What about you? Do you pay them? They're trying to trick him. Why were they trying to trick him? Let's look at it. Here's some points of interest concerning them. In the Roman Empire of the Caesars, they were worshipped as God. Caesars were claiming to be God on earth. There were different languages, cultures and political views across the Roman spectrum 
across the Roman earth. But the Romans knew that there would be wars, there would be uprisings, there would be troubles, there would be strifes if they just didn't let people get, let them get on with things. Let's put garrisons in. Let's bring them into our army. Let's bring them in as mercenaries. Let's pay them money. Let's keep them ecumenized together, every nation. That's how the Romans worked. But the main focal point for the Romans was this. They believed if they could get a spiritual tie, then a spiritual tie would be greater than any other man-made or devised tie. The spiritual ties were stronger than others. And so they closely protected the cult of Caesar. In other words, Caesar is God. The people would worship their own God. Okay, you're all right in your own religion or your denomination. Yes, you're okay, but come in under Caesar because we are the, the men with the, the imperialism policy of the Rome, of the Roman Empire. We're the men who'll keep you, keep you down keep you oppressed, but we'll let you off with things as long as you do what we tell you. But the great spiritual uh, tie of it was this. Worship who you like. Do what you want as long as you worship Caesar as God. As long as he is head, as long as he is in charge, as long as he is God, you'll be okay. That was one of their uh, great rules for imperialism. To say that the worship of, a, of, of, a, of Caesar was not exclusive, or sorry, the worship of your God was exclusive, and the only way to, to heaven or the kingdom of God, it wasn't tolerated. So you and I just say that even today that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. It is not tolerated. For there are many, they say, many, and I think you're going to get the gist here when I say this, they say there are many ways to God. Many ways to heaven, and there are many saints and so on you can pray to to find relief for your sins. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And they said you can worship, but don't claim exclusiveness of the worship. Nothing could take the place of Caesar in their hearts. And into this arena, think about it, into this arena came the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity. Here's the parallels between the cult of Caesar and Christianity. The word Lord, for example, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord is the word curios. It is, the, it is an august title. Now Caesar likes an august title, doesn't he? Here we have an august title. It means it's the equivalent of the Hebrew Yahweh or Jehovah. It is the one, the God most high. It is the supreme in control. It is the master. Yet the imperial who sits in Rome says, I am God. It speaks of divinity. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For though... There be that are called, notice, for those that are be that are called gods, small g, notice, not our God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Though there be, there be that are called gods, notice, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God. 
the Father of whom are all things and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we by him. You know what he was saying here? There's one God, not many gods. Not Roman pagan gods, he says. Not Babylonian gods. Remember the head of gold, the silver, and now you have the brass and then down to the legs of iron. The whole man, in other words, there's traits, comes right the whole way through the kingdoms. They take the mystery religions of, of, of satanic worship from Nimrod's day, Genesis chapter 10, right into Babylon the whole way through. Worship of mother and child is from Babylon. Many of them are from Babylon right through now to the Caesar gods. And they have pagan gods in heaven, they say. The gods of Mars and Venus and all these gods. Yet here is God on earth sitting upon a throne in Rome, he says. And this Caesar sits there. And listen, remember Paul, this wee man is just walking in and suddenly saying, hold on. There are many gods. No, no, no. There's but one God, he says. And listen to what he says. And one Lord Jesus Christ. One curios. One deity upon the earth. And the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you know, you can claim to be God all you want, but there's only one. And his name is Jesus. When Thomas... Uh, missed our Lord and he was resurrected from the dead. And the disciples told Thomas that he had, the Lord Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. Thomas said, except I I see the print in his hands where the nails went in his feet and thrust my hand into the side where the spear was, I won't believe. So Jesus reappears again and shows him and he says, handle me and see for a spirit of not flesh and bone as you see me have. When Thomas obviously sees or examines our Lord, he falls at his feet and he says, my Lord and my God. The Greek New Testament says, he says, oh, the Lord of me and oh, the God of me. No, Thomas was saying, Jesus is curious. Jesus is the very creator of the heavens and the earth. You know what that meant? Paul, when you said that there's one Father, one God, and there's one Lord Jesus Christ, See, when Thomas says there's one Lord and Master, He is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of me, the God of me. You know what they were saying? Caesar is not God and he's not my Lord, but Jesus and Jesus only. Friend, who's your God tonight? Who's your God tonight? These men stood. Some of them had their heads cut off. Some of them were run through with a sword. Because I said there's one Lord. And Jesus is my God. So the imperialism of Christianity. You can see the reason. Why these Pharisees came to Christ and says. Should we pay taxes? And he says give me the coin. Whose image and superscription is this? And he says render unto Caesar. The things that are Caesar's. And unto God the things that are God. You see, now they were trying to tangle him and twist him and take his words that they could go and say, he says Caesar isn't God. Don't obey Caesar. He's trying to turn us against Caesar. If we can't catch him in other ways, we'll twist his words. I'm going to finish with this. We'll do another one. We'll do more next week. This is just a wee tester. 
we taste their foyers, okay? In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 25, the Apostle Peter now stands and he says this. He calls the Lord Jesus the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. The shepherd and the bishop of our souls. See the word bishop there? It's the word overseer. Overseer. Jesus is our shepherd. Leads us every day. Jesus is the overseer of my soul. And do you know that in the days of imperialistic Rome, this was a direct challenge to the Caesar. For it was Caesar who says, I am the overseer. I am the one who sees all and knows all. My legates come. We'll look at that again. My legates come and they talk to me. My ambassadors are always in my ears to let me know what the people are doing. And he rules the people according to his own law and his own, and his own rule. And he says, I am me, he says. I'm the overseer. So whenever we read of Peter saying, the Lord Jesus is the shepherd and the bishop or the overseer of my soul. Caesars rise up and say, take that man, he's worthy of death. And friends, this is just a taster for next week. For next week, we're going to look at Daniel again. We're going to look at Pontifex Maximus. We're going to show you how Pontifex Maximus was, went, came from Pergamos, from Babylon, the Pergamos to the Roman Caesars, right to this day. And we're going to look and show you how it means bridge builder, the way or road to God. <coughs> we'll look at it next week. You understand here that when we're doing this, it's not for offense. But people's minds would be enlightened to the gospel of who the real king is, who the savior is, who died for you on a cross and rose again from a tomb. The Lord Jesus Christ. God bless his word to our hearts this evening. For his name's sake.